Hello and welcome back to Series 6 of the Hay Festival podcast. We're sharing highlights from recent Hay Festival events combined with conversations with some of the world's greatest writers and thinkers on the hobbies, passions and characteristics that influence their work. Today I'm pleased to talk to Labour MP Jess Phillips about food, fitness and how much better behaved kids are today than she was. But to kick off, Jess is speaking to Hugh Muir in front of a Hay Festival audience about her book, Everything You Really Need to Know About Politics, My Life as an MP. The Labour Party is never ruthless enough. Um, I think it was Angela Rayner uh, said recently, and I think that this is absolutely bang on, is that the Labour Party, uh, the Conservative Party will uh, promise, you, promise 100%, deliver 4% of what they've promised, and they will, they will bang on about that 4% as if it is the most impressive thing. And the Labour Party will promise 100%, they'll deliver 96%, and then they'll obsess about the 4% uh, and just go on about the things that they didn't do well. Um, the Labour Party um, has a deep, deep ingrained sense of self-harm that is is about being held to a higher standard. Uh, We hold ourselves to a higher standard and it is held to a higher standard. Uh, And so the element of ruthlessness that is necessary is is, it's present in individuals without question, but it as a mass movement it doesn't it doesn't sit well with that ruthlessness and that's not i'm not defending that i'm not saying that that is to humanize it or to say it's better it's not better because it is just a total privilege to not fight for power with everything you've got it is a useless waste of time to not fight for power ruthlessly um because it's just like well your ideas are cracking but they mean nothing in reality unless you can deliver them. Uh, and at the moment, I think that I think that the Labour Party is growing in confidence to grow that sort of ruthlessness, uh, ruthless ability to take advantage of it. But it's not taking advantage of Tories' failings is no way to win with honour. You have to take advantage ruthlessly of their failings at the same time as having a very confident, hopeful vision for the future. And that's the thing that the Labour Party uh, is working on and succeeding at getting towards. But isn't there with the confidence and the swagger yet needs to basically think quite a lot of itself is your man starmer up to that yes he is uh i I genuinely believe that he is up to that but i also don't think that we should and boris johnson has done this a little bit um and trump and um other sort of populists the idea that the Labour Party will ever just be the endeavours of one person, let's face it, man, um, is, is not something... Like, even Blair, who had, you know, arguably there was a sort of messiacal uh, thing about Blair, you know, you had no Blair without Robin Cook, without Prescott, without... It has to be a team effort. And there are things that Keir Starmer... Keir Starmer is never going to sit in front of you and crack a load of jokes. But, you know... It, he would be good at running government departments. <laughs> Leave the joke cracking to the rest of us. Like, you don't have to be all things to all people. And the fact that Keir Starmer isn't, like, you know, telling knob gags is held against him all the time because Boris Johnson tells knob gags. Um, like, it's held against him all the time. But he did run a deeply important government department, and Boris Johnson ran a bath once. <laughs> so, 
ran away from his responsibilities. But is that enough? That's kind of saying if he gets in, he'll be good. But you've got to get him in. Oh, yeah, but we, that's a team effort, isn't it? I don't, I, uh, yes, we've got to get him in. The person who's doing him the greatest favours at the moment is Boris Johnson, so cheers, dude. Um, but, yeah, yeah, of course, but you don't get him in by making him into the person who everybody currently hates. You get him into by selling a vision of honour and sensibleness and things being well managed. And I'm sorry if that looks a bit grey-suited, but... I'd give my right arm for a bit of boring. My husband always says to me, did you um, touch something when you were elected? Did you break something? Did you press a button in Westminster? Because since you were elected, everything's gone to shit. <laughs> well, that, I didn't, I was just like, I didn't break some ancient talisman. Do you think you're in a reasonable place now though? Because uh, obviously Starmer had to do a lot of work to try yeah. and reposition the party. Even at the last elections, the council elections, you yeah. had Labour people talking about um, still getting some resistance on the doorsteps. Oh, yeah. uh, one coined the phrase, Long Corbyn. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you still feel that that's a problem? The people who coin those phrases are geniuses, aren't they? You know, I wish one day I'm going to come up with a brilliant thing like that and then I'll just rest on my laurels. Uh, yes, I do think that we've got a long way to go. Um, for not just because of Corbyn, but because, um, you know, years and years of, uh, of propaganda that, you know, has elements of truth in it, but 96% of it is total lies. Um, and the Labour Party needs to build back confidence in people and earn people's, not even trust, like the belief that the country will be better if we had a Labour government is not going to be delivered to us uh, easily. You have to drag your way to 10 Downing Street by on bloody hands if you're a Labour member of Parliament. Like, we've barely had any. I mean, I feel like I've, you know, I basically lived through almost all of the Labour Party's history in government. Like, you know, the, at least half of the Labour Party in government was in my lifetime. That, you know, this is... It, it's going to take a huge amount and it isn't just Corbyn and if we pretend that it is just Corbyn then we, you know, you have to be very, very firm on, on, on a shift to the future from that but you, if you pretend it's just Corbyn it's just an easy answer and it's just another psychodrama within the Labour Party that the vast majority of people don't care about. Given what's going on and given your mission mm -hmm. um, it's a tough sell trying to get reasonable, decent people uh, who could be doing other things to go into politics at the moment, isn't it? When they yes. see the, the, the kind of pantomime that we're watching. Yeah, I mean, it is. Although, to be fair, you, you're often never short of people at a selection meeting uh, when there's an office. You know, you're short of people when there are leaflets to be delivered. <laughs> when there's a position to be filled, one notes there's more people in the meeting. Um, but, um, yeah, look, I, I don't think that it's necessarily an easy sell at the moment because... Um, of the behaviours uh, and the lack of honour associated with politics currently, both here and globally. Um, however, it should be the exact opposite because you don't join in with something that's going well. You should join in as part of a resistance movement. Like, resistance is everything. My, uh, in the, on the day of the 2017 election, no, the 2019 election, 
uh, when Boris had won an overwhelming majority, my friend Jess, who has twin daughters, she sent me a message and she just said, how am I meant to feel with my daughters growing up with more of this? Like, how, what hope is there for them? And I responded back to her and I said, well, we were born, me and you, Jess, were born two years into 13 years of Margaret Thatcher. And it built us into resistance machines. You don't... Politics is about struggle. It's not about the status quo. It is about entering in for change. And if you do not like what is happening in politics currently, then guess what? You have the gift to change it. You, and if that puts you off, then maybe you're not going to change it. But if there was ever a time that we needed mass populist movements to be more politically active, and to be fair, that is quite honestly how the populace is reacting, um, my dad bemoans that there isn't a genuine pitchfork revolution on the streets, uh, but he hasn't said my inbox. <laughs> um, but um, the, the reality is, is, if you're not happy and you don't like what's happening, that's the perfect time to get involved in politics. Resistance matters. To catch up on the full event, you can go to hayfestival.org forward slash hayplayer and hit subscribe. After a sellout event, I caught up with Jess to find out more about her life and influences, starting with what she got up to as a kid when she was bored. My dad used to tell me that being bored was bourgeois, um, so we weren't really allowed to be bored. But um, when I was bored, I mean, we got up to all manner of things that my kids don't do because they just look at their phones. Uh, we would go off on our bikes for miles, like ride miles away from our homes. Um, as long as you were home in time for EastEnders, which was at 7.30 back then, only on a Tuesday and Thursday, not like this everyday nonsense. Um, we, like, my parents didn't worry. So even when we were like six or seven, we'd just go off and ride our bikes. And they're all shut, been shut off by the council now, but there was a thing we used to do called gully tours, which is all the gullies and alleyways at the backs of the houses. Um, and we used to play tracking for miles, which was like a sort of massive hide and seek game with all the kids down our road. It's like a 1950s idyllic uh, <laughs> past that I'm describing. Also, we used to do a thing called garden hopping, where we, you, be, you basically trespassed in people's gardens. <laughs> and my friend Bryony lived like five doors down and you had to get to her house by going over everybody's gardens. <laughs> Did you get in trouble? <laughs> yes, occasionally. There was basically one grumpy man in between our houses. Like the, the, our our neighbours on either side were both nice. And we're like, oh, the kids are doing that garden thing again. Uh, but there was one grumpy man, yeah, like yeah. a bit like, you know, in sort of Dennis the Menace, a bit like that. Like was he wearing one. a dressing gown? Yeah, he was basically like <laughs> shaking a walking stick at you. And it, on reflection, he had every right. <laughs> at the time, I just thought, he's the worst, he's a fascist. And now I think... <laughs> Fair enough, he didn't want a load of kids in a probably, you know, very prized garden. Yeah, lucky they've all got phones now, so they, yeah, won't, be doing they it. won't be doing that now. <laughs> My son did just tell me in the green room, though, because he's here with me, that the other day, as a dare, he ate a plaster. Ooh, so, you know. Tell me. I, I don't want to ask the question. I mean, it, it was his plaster. Okay. It was a plaster that had been, like, On shielding something. him from a cut <laughs> I don't know about. Uh, but somebody dared him, so he ate it. Uh, did he get anything for it? Uh, I just, just you know, the Kudos. respect amongst your peers, I think, is what he got oh. for it. But, you know, I didn't, 
I didn't know that until you just told somebody else in the green room. So that was a pleasant <laughs> moment of my quality parenting. It's good when they surprise you in public, mm -hmm. isn't mm -hmm. it? Do you have any kind of awards or anything at high school, like a yearbook that most likely? Yes, do yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we you had a, what yours was? yeah, mine was to be the prime minister. Oh, yeah, no yeah, way. yeah. I, and I only know that because somebody sent me the pages of it um, on. Uh, we used to do these national records of achievement when I was at school. Um, that, that you were told you were going to take to every job interview, which no one ever did. Um, and it said, like, can use a calculator and things like that. Would have been a really valuable asset for a job. Um, but, yeah, somebody sent me a page from the yearbook that had been done. of, And it was deeply unfeminist, um, apart from my one, which was pretty good. Like, there was some, because I went to a girls' school, where it said things like, um, you know... Eve will go on to be a scientist or whatever. But like my mate Janine, it just said, we'll marry a rugby player. <laughs> and then my friend Maraid, it was like, we'll marry anyone. It's just like, this was the aspirations we had for these girls. They've done, they're both uh, very uh, brilliant school teachers now, actually. So uh, it turns out they were better at school than uh, most thought, but yeah. You must feel like you see stories about yourself in the breast from your childhood. Yeah. Is that weird? I how, do. How much of it feels true? Um, lots of it isn't true. Oh, yeah. uh, people misremember all the time. It's not that they're lying. People misremember. Like on the doorstep, often people will say to me, "Oh, you went to school with my daughter," and I didn't. But like the, the stories have become conflated along the way. Maybe like somebody else did, and uh, so a lot of people yeah. will make a claim that I was in a class with one of their kids, but I wasn't. Um, but uh, my favourite ever. Um, Somebody had written that I was a man-hater on Twitter and Roz, who went to my school, just wrote underneath, that's not what it said about her on the, on the wall of the toilets at school. <laughs> and I thought, that is the greatest retort I have ever heard. It's just like, man-hater is definitely not how I would have described her when we were kids. Um, but yeah, yeah, people, people write like, yeah. In, but mostly, I mean, I keep, because of, you know, when I was sort of 19 was the dawn of Facebook, so we sort of keep in touch with each other uh, quite a lot. But recently I was interviewed by one of the young women, I, the girls I went to school with, Diana, and uh, she lives in Switzerland now. Uh, and her daughter was doing like a gender equality thing at school when she's 10, and she interviewed me on Zoom. And she was so serious, and so like asking these really serious questions, and I used to just thought, your mum would have had a bottle of Malibu crap by now. Our kids are so impressive. Yeah, <laughs> nowadays we were not. I mean, I went to my old school and uh, they were like, you know, so what do we have to do to become a member of parliament? I was like, well, I never stayed in after school lessons mm. listening to a member of parliament. I was smoking bags <laughs> around the back. Like, so, you know, there's no one path. No. <laughs> something for everyone. Oh, that's great. Do you feel like you can trace any kind of character traits in yourself from, from being young that you use now? Oh, 100%. I'm the same person, really, in lots of ways. Obviously, you grow and go on a journey, blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, I am um, incredibly willing to stand up and be counted in a way that I have always been from infant school. Like, if I didn't like what was being presented to me by authority, I would be, like, incensed and seek to gather up a group of people to take action about it. Um, we had a sit-down strike at my primary school that we organised because I didn't like the way this lad Leon was treated. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, I definitely was always... But I was raised on a picket line, so 
I was raised that if you don't like it, also that nobody is, that being bored is bourgeois, and that nobody is better than you, and um, don't bow to anybody. Like, that was, like, drummed in at me as a kid. And so I can see how, you know, that. But also, because I was the only girl, I've got three brothers, and they're all older than me, my parents really properly drummed into me, like, there's nothing that they can do that you can't do. And it sort of created a monster. Uh, they should have said it to some of them a bit more, yeah. because some of them are a bit feckless. Um, was there anything um, that you were interested, that you kind of kept a secret or felt a bit sort of embarrassed of that wasn't cool? Or... Uh, I was incredibly cool, I'm afraid to say. Um, <laughs> all the way through school, too cool for school in many ways. But were there things I was embarrassed about? Well, well I played the violin when I was very little. I started playing when I was like four. Uh, and to be fair, I always hated the lessons. I incidentally bought a house opposite my old violin teacher, so now I can listen to other people playing the violin badly on a nice summer's day. Um, but I, when I went to secondary school, I convinced my parents that they shouldn't pay for the lessons for the violin anymore, and that I'd have them at secondary school because they were available. Um, but I thought, there's no way I'm taking, like, you know, I'm doing violin lessons at secondary school. I'm like way too cool for that. So I just took my violin every Thursday and told my parents I was doing the lessons for like solid two years. Didn't learn a note. Yeah, so, and that was mainly because I thought it was too cool. Also, I was brilliant at running. Um, so yeah, I was very fast at sprinting and good at swimming, like swim for the county sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, I thought that smoking fags and hanging out with boys was better and that ruined what could have been a very glittering athletics career, I think. <laughs> In the next life, maybe. Yeah, and also just because I didn't think that stuff was cool. I'm really, really pleased to say that it's gone the other way with my children's generation, is that, like, being really nerdy and into something is really cool now, like, and that, I think, is really, that's that's... I'm really pleased about that. My parents said, you'll regret giving up languages and learning a, a, music, a musical <laughs> instrument. And I was like, I won't. I hate those lessons. I cry. I remember when Dirty Den was killed on EastEnders and I didn't watch it because I was doing violin practice. And I remember the tears falling down <laughs> my face as I was doing, like, you know, Mozart sonatas. Like, whatever. I'd rather watch Dirty Den be. I'd rather be with the zeitgeist. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, so... But they were right. Mm. Now, when I look at a violin, I think, wouldn't it be amazing if I could just pick that up and just play it? Mm. Somebody said it would come back to me if I tried, because I got to nearly grade eight by the time I was, like, 11, 12. So, yeah, I didn't mind grade seven. Um, but foreign languages, mm. it's, it's, like an, it's like a superpower. Yeah. It being is. able to speak a foreign language. And I mean, I could kick English myself. As well. Dreadful. Oh, it's Dreadful. embarrassing, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. And like, obviously, the constituency that I represent, you know, a good 30 to 40% of the people are bilingual. And like, you just listen to them going in and out of two different or three different languages in front of you. Oh, genuinely, it's like being able to, you know, read minds. I, it's just what a gift to be able to speak a foreign language. And I have not got that. No, I, w I would love to. I have this fantasy of like learning something really well and then never telling anyone. Yeah, waiting for just someone, just waiting to be insulted in the language in front of I have front watched, of I have watched that happen. I was in a restaurant. I was in a restaurant in, called Jessica's in Birmingham, which is no longer there. I was with my friend Matt, whose mum lives in France, and um, she was... Um, uh, and so he, he was bilingual, raised bilingually, and uh, they were slagging us off. 
because uh, we, I mean, we weren't posh enough or whatever, that some of the waiting staff were, and he just stood up and started speaking to them in French, oh. and it was like absolute burns. My oh. children both learn um, BSL at school, oh, and so great. they uh, often slag me off behind my back in uh, sign language. So, but I can't criticise. I can't. No. Yeah, I can't <laughs> criticise that. I think that's a, what a skill. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll have to learn. <laughs> How do you like switch off from stuff? Because it must be so all-encompassing and obviously you're like really passionate mm -hmm. about what you do are you good at kind of coming home at the end of the day and being like uh, i've got better i have got better at it as i've got older um just because i'm tireder and i can't keep as many things in my head um but no i never really switch off from it there's always a threat on the horizon um and i don't mean like i mean obviously that as well but like a threat to me but it's always the threat of something will happen and you'll immediately, all of your attention will be dragged towards that. That's that's an ever, like the first moment that I wake up in the morning is that it's like, oh. what's it going to be today? Um, yeah, but, you feel sort of scared to look at your phone. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You, I brace myself every morning. Um, so it is hard to switch off, but you know, I've got um, most of my friends uh, and my family aren't that, you know, they're not politically uh, involved in any way. like. My husband would join a political party. I think it's, he thinks it's for lunatics. Um, but yeah, like so, they don't really talk to me about it. I'm, and I see my friends like two or three times a week, um, and I don't think about my job when I'm with them really. So you, I, I do manage to do it. Yeah, I mean politics is so immensely personal nowadays, and it's, yeah, it feels yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. you're more and more exposed with having these social profiles and yeah really you are much, much more exposed and... yeah all of that yeah. is the case um but you yeah you do just have to learn to live with that i'm afraid uh, i am just sort of like and often with younger people and more newly elected mps there is an element where i sometimes think well i'm afraid that is just the job uh, it shouldn't be and we should do whatever we can to make it better but you are gonna have to like this is the life you have to suck it up mm. a bit has that changed a lot since you started in politics? Oh yeah, like younger MPs, uh, not necessarily, when I say younger, I don't mean they're just younger than me. They might be younger than me, they might be older than me, they just were elected sooner were. than I, I, I was. Um, uh, they, yeah, the, well, the whole world has different standards, doesn't it? And they, those standards move and shift um, about what is tolerable and what is uh, intolerable. And I find sometimes, yeah, that I, I never thought that I would be that way, but I, you know, I'm, I, I become like the old guard and I'm just a bit like, suck it up, man, whatever. You got to cope with it. Yeah. That's life. It Do does. a different job if you don't like it. Like, that's what it is. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like a big kind of like time of transition we're living through because oh, the, it does, yeah. the internet coming in, it's like we yeah. just have no idea how to deal with it, how to govern it and police it. Yeah, and we're like toddlers playing with a toy still. We need Fast to become forward. the grown-ups. Yeah, it's just, it's Nowhere just, near. just a Nowhere world near. to unravel, isn't it? Yeah, it's like yeah, a whole yeah. new code of ethics that yeah. hasn't been... Yeah, My husband was a really designed. early adopter of the internet uh, and like forums and, you know, and, and he sort of grew out. I mean, he's not, he doesn't have any social media or anything like that. Um, he sort of grew out of it. One time he, he once said to me, oh, I've, uh, I'm going to bed now. I've just finished the internet. <laughs> like that all right okay he's like yeah i've done it it's over completed job done uh never need to go back to that and th there is an element where 
some people are in advance of it and he thinks it's absolutely crackers the way that we respond like me and my brother and my sister-in-law who's a, just qualified as a social worker were sat around the other day and we were talking about people being triggered by things and trauma responses and stuff and my husband just was like you know that this is all just internet like you're all just talking about things and you're allowing things that people have discussions about on the internet i didn't know that any of this existed because i'm not doing the thing that you're doing and obsessing about other people's opinions on the internet i'm literally free of it and i'm like oh, he's like a monk of, of serenity because he's not he's not at all like he doesn't he's not exposed to it at all we need to all be like tom phillips do you have to sort of go online and look i mean he if he were here we'd say no she doesn't she's just addicted to it <laughs> okay um but yes i mean in a way that he doesn't uh, yeah. i do i do have I to like i have to be to yeah i have to be responsive to people you have to go where people are what about sort of current uh, interests and stuff then? So you, you said you, you're quite into fitness. I am really into fitness at the moment. <laughs> oh my God, I've become like a fitness obsessive. Oh, that's great. I know, I didn't know. You're it feeling smug. I'm so smug. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. Was this COVID? Just, it's COVID, right? COVID, COVID started it. Lockdown two or uh, one? Lockdown, right, lockdown one, mm. but second part of lockdown one lockdown one initially was the aperitif hour and <laughs> drinking until like you know you had to demark the day didn't you from beginning <laughs> to end and the only way to do that was with cocktails mm -hmm. so uh i did a lot of that mm -hmm. um and you can't just have a cocktail you've got to have all the snacks and you know making different <laughs> hors d'oeuvres and things because you've got time mm -hmm. uh, so I did all that and I ate a phenomenal amount in the first one but it, but then in the second half of it I was like right come on I'm going to go out running and things because I had more time on my hands and I was waking up in the same bed and things and I had time to cook and eat obviously when I'm in Westminster I don't I don't cook for one like I just eat whatever's passing me by um, and because I didn't have to do that, yeah, I became sort of obsessive about fitness. But now I'm doing this thing called Six Pack Revolution mm. uh, that the writer Emma Kennedy uh, suggested to me. Uh, and um, she did it. And it's like literally like I just do mountain climbers and push ups. Like I did 40 push ups before I left my house this morning. Oh. I mean, one thing I have to say is that the old habit of my childhood dies hard, though, because I still am hidden away when I'm doing it. I don't. I, I can't bear to, for anyone to see me. I can just about tolerate going for a run now okay. in public. Um, but, um, like, I can't do all, I do all this rape stuff and I, I couldn't do that in front of people. Yeah. I, I must look like a nana. <laughs> I, think I need to get over that. My husband's yeah. like, like, anybody gives a toss about you, like, just do it. Like, I'm like, because I could go to the gym and do it, but I, I'm not, like, I can't yeah. have people near me. No, my, my issue with it, whenever I've been to the gym, I always feel like you, you're either someone that hates themselves in the gym or loves themselves. Self, yeah. And I just, There's no in-between. You just feel like you're being watched. So I just do it in our garage, but I've got these battle rope things and I knock the kids' bikes off the walls doing jumping jacks with battle ropes yesterday. <laughs> so it's not, a, it's not a permanent solution. <laughs> but I can't even do it in the garden because my next door neighbour, I just can't oh, bear the thought of them no. seeing me. Yeah, Although, be, well, she's be a lovely Jess woman, Phillips. she'd be yeah, like... In the press, right? Yeah. <laughs> No, she's a lovely woman. She'd just think, go on, girl. Yeah. But I can't. I, that's what I think about other people, but I can't think about myself. Um, you were a bit of a foodie then, do you think? Yeah, yeah, when totally. Massive foodie. I mean, I, my husband's a brilliant cook, so he tends to do the cooking. Um, but, like, literally all... I mean, I come from Birmingham, so you sort of raised eating really, really sort of what would be described sort of peasant food, Indian food. So chickpea curries, 
you know, paneer, sag paneer and matta paneer uh, curries uh, that are just, you know, just mm. cheap <laughs> and mm. delicious. Mm. Um, but we cook all sorts of food. We cook everything under the sun. Um, and when, you know, we're like, I mean, we're middle class wankers if I could be so bold. Uh, you know, my husband sits eating like wild garlic focaccia, bemoaning the fact that there isn't a greasy spoon anymore. I'm like that. <laughs> Mate, he's like, right you here. used to be able to go and get like egg and chips at any moment. And it's like that. Yes, just tuck into your focaccia <laughs> and you pour over. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, where we live. I mean, yeah. we've lived in this. It got fancy around us. We've lived in the same place all of our lives and it is considerably more middle class there. Um, but um, yeah, it's, yeah, we, we, and we go out and eat. I've gone off going to really fancy places. Okay. Like, I don't like Michelin star restaurants anymore. Uh, we went through a phase of like, you know, you go for a special treat and mm. have a tasting menu and that, but it's all just somebody faffing about with my food. I'd much rather um, like, Really, really good Korean food uh, made humbly uh, is much better. Yeah, for example. I, I feel like street food is really having its moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although my husband, honestly, nobody met, uh, in all the burgers and fried chicken and all that, no, none of them are ever as good as my husband, but he is obsessive. He won't like, so he makes his own buns, he makes his own processed cheese. He'll like do the science to make it. He'll read about it for weeks and then he'll make it over and over again like the, the perfect Reuben sandwich and then he'll never make it again once it's perfect and then he'll move on to the next thing uh, so I mean the amount of fried chicken I ate I can't tell Where you. Where did you find this? I mean he is amazing my husband he, he doesn't like the internet and he oh. love, but he loves fried, making fried <laughs> chicken Thank you for listening to the Hay Festival podcast Next Thursday, I'll be with comedian and writer David Baddiel talking about writing routines, online trolls and bucket lists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating or tell a friend. This podcast was hosted by Poppy Evans and produced by Shabie Nacharo Chanith. We'll see you right here next Thursday.